Now, go with me, if you would, in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 2. And uh, we're going to cover a lot of Bible today, but we won't cover a lot of places. We'll be in Ephesians 2 nearly the entire time. I think we may reference one or two verses outside of that chapter, uh, but you won't necessarily need to turn there. You can if you're quick, um, but if not, just hang out with me in Ephesians chapter 2. We'll get there. Now, we started a couple weeks ago, and so I want to kind of catch you up to pace. Some folks are out of town, or some folks are just joining us uh, for the first time this morning, uh, either the first time in a while. But this is our new sermon series called... Called True Purpose, and we're endeavoring really to lay hold and grasp an understanding of what the true purpose for all of this is. And uh, we started with the true purpose of Christ, that Christ came, uh, the Bible says that God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And so the entire purpose of Jesus Christ was not to come and start a religion. The purpose of Jesus Christ was not to come and teach us a better way of living, though he did some of that. The, the real purpose, the heartbeat of Jesus, Jesus' arrival on earth, the whole reason man had God come and dwell with him was so that man could be redeemed. And uh, Jesus stepped into this world and he lived a perfect life as God in flesh. He shed his God blood on the cross for us and paved a way for us into redemption, into the presence of God. And again, if you were with us in 10 a.m., you're, you're hearing some of those notes re-rung uh, over and over again. And then last week, we, we jumped in to kind of our side of the equation. What's the purpose of man? And uh, we wanted to get, and I expressed my desire to get to what we're after today, but before we could get after what man's purpose is now, we went all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 and saw God's purpose for man in the garden. And God created man for a handful of very specific purposes. Uh, before the fall of man, before we fell into sin and Eve ate the fruit and Adam ate the fruit and that fallen nature passed upon all of us, before all of that happened, God made us to be like him. God made us to be with him. God made us to inherit his goodness. And you're going to see some of that back in the, the message and through the text today as well. Uh, but after God made us, we, we understand that man chose to sin. We chose to be, we wanted to be like God. Now we were already made like him, but we wanted to take that knowledge to ourselves. We wanted to become our own gods, as it were, that, that we could determine for ourselves what was right and wrong. And so we fell and uh, we broke as a people and we were, we strayed and we were banished from the garden of Eden and the presence of God, um, which is again, why Christ came. These things are all uh, uh, intrinsically woven together, inseparably woven woven together. And so because of our fall, Jesus came to free us from the curse of our own sin, to rescue us from our own chosen destruction so that we could be back with him, so that we could be remade like him, so that we could once again inherit his goodness. And so when you think about the intersection between the purpose of Jesus and the purpose of man, you have to recognize it was a rescue mission. Uh, Jesus stepped into our world to pay the ransom for sinners uh, to purchase us off the slave slavery auction block, as it were. We were slaves in sin and Jesus came to redeem us to himself so he could restore us so that he could bring us back into his presence and into his likeness. And that happens at the moment, really the start of it happens at the moment of salvation. And so you trust Christ as your savior. He makes you a new creature. Old things are passed away and all things are become new. But then begins this beautiful process. We're going to lean into a little bit this morning of sanctification. It's a process of reformation, a word we saw in the 10 a.m. hour. It's the process of being conformed back into what we were supposed to be in the garden, into the image of our creator, Jesus Christ. And so this week, I want to lean a little bit into that idea of the reforming process or the process of sanctification after salvation. Because at salvation, man is given a new 
true purpose. But, but I want to modify that word. New as in renewed, not like we've never seen it, but renewed to what we lost. We were given this purpose in the garden of likeness and closeness and inheriting his blessings and family and, and valued life and purpose. We were given that in the garden, but it fell. And then Jesus stepped in to rewrite that back into our humanity through the death of, uh, of the cross, through that, that shedding of blood and that bringing us back into his likeness so that we could inherit his goodness again. Now, I want to tell you up front, can I just tell you what I hope to accomplish this morning as we go to Ephesians chapter number two? I have twofold purpose. Number one, I hope to show the saint what the Bible says in hopes uh, that you can see what Jesus desires to make you uh, and what he is making you. I hope to show the believer this morning who Christ desires to make you for two reasons. I want you to rejoice in what you find, and I want you to resolve and commit to be what you find. So as we look in the Bible and Jesus says, hey, you were this, but now you're this. If you find yourself living the way you were, as a saved person, you're not where God desires you to be. If you do find yourself living where God wants you to be, then my hope is you rejoice. And my heart, as I read this text, my heart rejoices over all that God took from me and all that he's making me into. And I hope the same is true for all of us. So the purpose number one is for the saved. Purpose number two is if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your savior, here's what I hope to show you. I hope to show you the life Jesus desires for you. So after salvation, Christ desires to make you into something. And we're going to see that something in great definition in Ephesians chapter number two. And so if you're here and you're saved, I hope the message reminds you of how Jesus is trying to reshape your life. And I hope you'll rejoice in that. And I hope that you'll repent if you're not living that way. Number two, if you're lost here this morning, my hope is that you will lean into what Christ desires for you. Now, some in this room, you're saved. And what you're going to hear this morning about how Jesus should be changing you is going to cause you to feel a little uncomfortable because you're going to say, yeah, I once was that way and then I got saved and then I went back to that way. And if you're going to find yourself in that camp this morning, you're probably in, 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 I don't want to say maybe good company, but there's probably more than a handful of folks in the room who this is going to apply to. Maybe you're wandering this morning from Jesus. Maybe you're a bit distracted in your Christian life. Maybe you have forgotten why he redeemed you and what he's trying to make you into. And you've gotten a little bit off course and you're starting to live for self and you once served the Lord, but now you're so focused on you and self and all these problems. What you're going to find in Ephesians chapter number two might make you rejoice, but it'd probably call you to repentance. But like I said, if you're here this morning and you're lost, then I hope what you see is something you desire because Christ can make everyone brand new. What you once were, he can make you into something completely different. And if you're here without Christ, all you have to do is come to Jesus for salvation. He will begin the reforming process of your life. And so let's open our text and kind of see what we're dealing with. There's kind of a summary verse that opens Ephesians chapter two. So look at verse number one. It says, and you hath he quickened, which just means to make a life. And it doesn't mean to make run faster. I wish that were the case. When you got saved, you could be a faster runner. That hasn't happened to me. Maybe it happened to you, uh, but that's not the case for me. But it says, you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. Like I said, the rest of the verse is really just going to be an, uh, expounding upon that idea that we were dead, but now we've been made alive. But Paul says this is the truth, that you and I were dead in our trespasses. We were buried in our trespasses. Now, I, I really want to focus on that preposition there, the word in. You were dead in trespasses and sin. I don't want to be morbid or anything of that nature, but I want you to just think with me. He's talking about a dead person inside of something. And so just briefly in your mind, answer the question, where do you put a dead body? Well, you put a dead body in a casket. And so I want you to think about this idea, this picture that's being painted by Paul. He says, you were entombed like a casket in your transgressions. 
You were buried in your sin and your trespasses. You were surrounded and encompassed and forgotten in the ground of your own trespasses and sin. Sin and trespass was our bondage. It was our casket. But Paul says here, but he quickened you and he made you alive. You were reborn, like Jesus said to Nicodemus two weeks ago. You were restored, like we talked about last week, into the image of the garden. You were made alive from the dead. And the Bible word again is the word quickened, you were set free from the casket of your sin and transgressions. It no longer holds us. And that has far-reaching implications. So again, if you're not saved, you're still entombed. And I hope that through the preaching of the word, you say, I want to be made free. I want to be made different. I want to be resurrected from that dead life. But if you're here and you are saved and you're, you'd climbed back into the ca- ca- casket or climbed back into the coffin, my hope is that God would call us to a repentance that says, I've been set free. I, I am free. I have a birthright to live differently. And I hope wherever you find yourself this morning, whether needing repentance or just rejoicing, or whether needing salvation, I hope that God will speak to your heart through the reading and the preaching of the word this morning. But let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to teach us something this morning from the reading and preaching of his word. Father, meet with us, please. You understand my heart. God, you understand everything about me. You understand my inadequacies. You understand where I've studied. And, and Father, you understand what I've, I, I have written in my notes versus what you once said. So Lord, I submit to your will this morning, and I ask God that you'd work in our hearts I pray, Father, that we'd lean in. Lord, a thinking message this morning, and one with a little bit more weight than maybe normal. And Lord, I pray that each of us, where we find ourselves this morning, God, we'd be willing to take the next step forward. That we go a little further in our Christianity for you. That, Father, maybe where we've climbed back into the bondage of sin and death, we climb back out because our birthright is to be reborn and to be remade and for all old things to pass away and all things to become new. But, Father, for the person in the room who, who only knows the bondage of sin, God, may they recognize they're entombed, but that Jesus came to set us free from that, that that, that the grave has no more victory and no more power, and that the sting of death is gone, that you took it, Father, from us. I pray you'd help me, Lord. I I want to be used by you today. I want your word to have free course. I want your spirit to be able to affect change in the hearts and lives of believers and non-believers alike. I pray that you do your work in Christ's name we ask. Amen. Now, before we get into Ephesians chapter 2, I want to read for you 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I told you we may grab one or two verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, really encompasses this same idea. It says, and I've quoted just a little bit of it. It says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, like a, like a person who died. We, we say, well, that person passed away. Uh, those old, that old man that you and I possess, that old nature, those lusts and the way we live. The Bible says that when we were made new in Christ, we are a new creature and the old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And so when we think about this reforming purpose of man, that Jesus created us to be like him and with him and inherit his goodness, that we fell and we lost that, but that at salvation, he brings us back into it. His desire is that the old us would pass away, that the old way of living would be buried and entombed in itself, but that you and I, we would be made new. And so what we're going to find in chapter number two is six things. And we won't spend a whole lot of time on it, so don't worry about the clock. We'll be out just on time. But there's six things that Jesus desires to remake in us, that his purpose, if fulfilled properly in us, we're going to find that we're going to change, that we're going to be sanctified, that we're going to be reformed or remade. The old things are going to pass away from us, and we're going to walk in the newness of life that you and I at salvation were ordained to inherit and to walk in. I hope you know where we're going. So let's dive into our study and chase down our first truth, if you would. Look at verse number one. It says, and you hath he quickened who are dead in trespasses and sin. Look at verse number two. Really, the next four verses, he's just going to explain verse number one. 
It says, wherein in time past ye walked. Now, I'm not a big English guy. I struggled with it quite a bit when I was in high school and and college. But I think we could all probably take a, a reasonable stab or guess at this. Walked, is that present or past tense? That's past tense. Notice the past tense of this verse. Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince and power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. He says, hey, you as a saved person, you used to walk like the world walks today. That's what he said. It now works in the children of disobedience, but in you, it used to work. So what he's implying here is that as a saved person, a remade person, that we ought not be walking the way we once walked because Jesus has saved us and beginning to quick, or he has quickened us and beginning to reform us. Look at verse number three. Among whom also we all had, past or present tense, past, had our conversation or our way in which we live. Among whom also we had our conversation in times past. This is what you used to be. In the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desire of the flesh and of the mind, and were, past tense, by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Here's what he's saying, and he's saying it to us today too. If you're here and you're saved, this ought to ring true in your ears that you used to walk according to the lusts of your flesh, that you used to live according to your own fleshly desires, that when you wanted something that you knew was wrong and and it would assault your marriage or it would assault your child rearing or it would assault your character, when you were lost, you didn't care, you'd go after it. You had your lifestyle, your conversation according to the lust of the flesh. Look at two of the greatest words in all the Bible. Verse four, would you read them out loud? Ready? But God. Praise the Lord. So 2000, year 2000 for Casey was this way and every year before that. But in 2001, but God stepped into my life and he reformed me and he changed me and he remade me and he reshaped me. Look at those two words again. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, past tense, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace ye are saved. So listen, beloved, if you're here and you are saved, you were past tense one way, but God who is rich in mercy and his love toward you hath quickened us. Can we just dwell on that for just a second? This has been something in my heart and mind for the last couple of days. I opened the week knowing I was in Ephesians 2. So on Monday and on Tuesday, just thinking on these passages on Wednesday and Friday, just thinking on these passages. Can we just dwell on that? I want you to think of a single word that would have described you before you were saved. I want you to think about it. In a moment, I'll, if you're willing, I'll, I'll have you shout it out. But I want you to think about what you were. What one word would maybe describe you before Christ? I would say the word that might describe me was bitter. I struggled with bitterness. I, 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 there were people who hurt me in my life, and I wasn't going to forgive them. And Man, I'm going to grow up and show you. And I would say that uh, words that might describe me would be wandering. Angry was a word that would describe me. Proud would be a word that would describe me. Is there a word maybe that before Christ would have described you? Just shout it out if you would like to. Say it again. Empty. Down. Selfish. Such were some of you. But you are washed. You are quickened. You are made alive. That word quicken, again, means to breathe life into, to come back. What once was breathed life into in the garden and broke, now he quickens and frees us from the entombment of our sin and our lust and our passions. You were dead in trespasses and sin, but you're made alive. Here's our first thing we're going to learn from our text. Because of saving grace, listen, I no longer am what I once was. 
I no longer am what I once was. Whatever you were before Christ, grace radically reshapes and redefines who you are. Perhaps this morning in your past, you were the one who abused. But under Christ, you are something different. Maybe you are the one this morning who was abused for one, in, one, in one facet or another. Listen, grace gives you a new identity. You are not defined by what someone did to you. You, are, you have a, a, the ability to be reshaped in Christ. Not by what someone did to you, but by what Jesus did for you. Those old things are passed away. When you were made alive in Christ, those things died. And again, that's not just positive self-talk, right? Or positive affirmation. That's the Bible. It says you walked. That's past tense. You had, you were, that's all past tense. But then he says, you are quickened through the work of Jesus Christ. And so don't let the devil define you by who you used to be before Christ. Sure, you might've been an absent parent, but that was before Jesus. You probably were a selfish spouse, but that was before Jesus. It's possible you might've even had a criminal record. You may have been a selfish drunk, but that is what you were. Can I remind you of verse number three? We all Paul says, had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But that was the dead you, right? That's the one that's buried with Christ and now resurrected to walk in the newness of life, quickened by the Spirit of God. And at rebirth, you are granted a new beginning, a newness that every lost person in this room should want. And if you're here and you'd say, well, I, I'm not new. I'm exactly the way I always have been. Maybe you don't know Jesus as your savior. And I plead with you that he can make you new. His blood on the cross was enough to satisfy God's wrath on your sin debt. And he can forever set you free from not only your past sin, but your future sin, the power of sin, the penalty of sin. All of those bonds are broken in the person, in the death of Jesus Christ. And if you'll come to him for salvation, he will make you a new person. And yet some of those things pass away immediately. And some of that's the process of sanctification and surrendering that. But there's grace available to those who are his. So if you're not saved, you need to be saved. If you are saved, listen, child of God, you ought to be walking in that newness of life. You ought to be walking in that resurrection that he gave to you, that you are a new creature. I want you to notice, secondly, we'll find it in our text number two. I, who was once buried and entombed, am now risen to reign with Jesus. This is all right here in our text. Remember the dominion we lost in the garden? We talked about that, that authority was given to us. We were called to go out, right? Likeness was given to us. All these things that broke. This is a theme that's gonna reoccur throughout the Bible. Look at verse number six. Let's back up, in fact, to verse number six again, and, and let's read that. It says, and hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places. So listen, he says, I was buried in the last verse. You were lost in your transgressions. Now he says, you're no longer buried, but you're risen to sit with Christ. Where? In heavenly places. Listen, to fully understand this verse that we're going after, we have to grasp where, where that makes me seated. If I'm seated with Christ in the heavens, the next question I have to answer is, where's Christ seated? Well, listen, if you, if you were to go throughout the scripture into Revelation, into Romans, and to so many different passages, what you're going to find is that Christ is seated next to the Father in heaven, at the right hand, a position of authority. And here's what the Bible just said to us. We get to pull up a chair next to that. That you and I are seated with Christ in the heavens. We were dead. We lost dominion. We were entombed. We had no authority. We lost the ability to say no. And now because of Christ, we're both resurrected. We are risen to sit with him. In the heavens, because of redemption, I'm made a king and a priest. 
Because of redemption, I have received the ability to exercise dominion once more. To some, and someday we'll rule and reign with him. Someday the Bible says we'll even judge angels. Someday we'll subdue this entire planet and bring it back to him. I couldn't do that in deadness of sin. I couldn't do that entombed in my own lusts and addictions. But because of Jesus, I'm not only made alive, I'm made alive to sit with him. Look again at verse number six. It says, and hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Let's keep reading verse seven. We'll find our third point. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. So listen, we're going back to the garden. I hope you're catching it. He says, hey, you were made in my likeness, but you broke it. But now I'm going to rebirth you into the image of Jesus. And then I'm going to give you back dominion. We just saw that in verse six. But in verse number seven, did you see what we get back as well? It says that through the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Number three, what we learn is that we were made alive so that we might once again inherit the blessings of God. Because understand, and somehow, I don't know how we got off on this with, with religion as a whole, religion teaches and false religion teaches that God just wants to bless everybody. God's going to bless everybody. You sing the song, he'll bless you. You know, you give to the March of Dimes, he'll bless you. No, listen, you're going to find in this text that if you're without Christ, you are an enemy to God. You are in your sins, dead in trespasses. You are, you're an enemy to God. But because of Jesus, he puts us in a position where we, through the ages to come, can inherit his kindness and his goodness once again. He positions us back into the place where he can bless us. Listen, lean in close. Don't miss what I'm about to say. God was bound by the law to show us justice. But he was enabled by the cross to once again show us his goodness. He couldn't because of the, the fall. But now because of the cross, he is able to redeem us and give us those blessings. Again, just look at verse 7 again. It speaks for itself. He, he raised us up together in verse 6 and made us to sit in heavenly places with Christ. Verse 7, why? Why did he raise us up to sit forever in heaven with Jesus? That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and, kindness, and his kindness toward us through the enablement of what Jesus Christ did. Listen, Verse number seven is so beautiful because it tells us that we get to inherit him, not just now as Christians, but for the ages to come. In a million years from now, I'll still be inheriting the goodness of God. And I got to walk through this life and you and I all live under the curse and there's going to be heartbreak and there's going to be disappointment in this life. But in the ages to come, I'm going to inherit the goodness of God and the kindness of God forever inheriting his goodness. So number one, we learn that by grace, I'm no longer who I was. Number two, I learned that by grace, I'm seated with Christ in the heavens. Number three, I realized that I am raised up so I might once again and forever inherit the goodness of God. Look at verse number eight. And by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Listen, the best news of the whole Bible is that you can't. Nor were you ever expected to earn the favor of God. Again, religion will teach, and we saw this in Sunday school, that Jesus obtained the eternal redemption for us. He set out and secured it for us. You will never in your flesh set out to please God alone. You can't do it. You're never going to meet the requirements. But the good news is, not of works, but by grace, he saved us. 
Not of works, because here's what would happen. If anybody could earn their way to heaven, let's just say, I may not pick on you, I'll pick on me. If Casey could have earned his way to heaven in a million years from now, I'd be going back up to God saying, now, Lord, I just want you to know, I did earn this. I did, I got this position up here because I'm a good person. So you owe me a mansion and you owe me a crown and you owe me your goodness for ages to come, not because of you, but because I did it. But it's not of works, why? Lest any man should boast. You couldn't earn it. And if you could, you'd brag about it and you'd lose it. Nobody could earn it. And the good news of the Bible, the gospel, the word good news is gospel. The gospel is that by grace you're saved. But I want you to notice what his expectation is. So if you're not saved, you need to be saved. But notice what his expectation is. Once I am saved, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. We didn't do it. He made us. He formed us. He's reforming us. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So what's happening in my life? What is, what, is, what is my purpose now? Well, through the quickening grace received at salvation, I am now ordained and you are now ordained to walk in good works. Not to be saved, but because you are saved. So again, let me speak to the saved here. We've rejoiced over the past three truths, right? That I'm no longer who I was when he found me. I'm not the angry or the bitter. And I still struggle with my sin and so do you. But we're not what we once were. Thank God for that. Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God today. And so thank God for that. I'm not where I want to be, but I'm not what I was. And we rejoice in that. We rejoice, number two, that we'll rule again, right? We get to rule and reign with him. Praise the Lord for that. We rejoice that we are resurrected to inherit the goodness of God. We rejoice in all of that. But listen. There is an expectation that comes with that grace. That grace enables and indebts me with the responsibility to walk in good works, to walk after the person of Jesus. By grace, I can now please God, and by grace, I now should please God. We are not saved by good works, but we are saved, the Bible says, unto good works that we should walk therein. And I fear that some Christians in the room today, or really as a whole in Christianity, I fear that some Christians accept the grace of a Savior, but not the lordship of a king. I want to be saved, and he'll save you. But once he saves you, he saves you unto good works. He doesn't save you by good works. We already established that. He already established that. But he does save us unto good works that we should walk therein. But sometimes we got other things to do, don't we? We can't be bothered with service. We got a schedule to keep. We can't be bothered with evangelism. That's not our spiritual gifting. Giving is not even on the radar. We got things to do. Global missions, well, that doesn't fit with my five-year plan. And listen, there is a strange thing that happens when you purchase something. You have the right to use it as you choose. We recognize that, right? We go and we buy a car. Let's, I mean, we pay cash for it. We own it outright. We get the title. That's ours. You know what that entitles me to? The use of it however I choose. It is mine. And here's what the saving grace of Jesus entitles him to. Your life and mine. That he now owns his purchased possession. We, we, here, here's what God's saying. It's, it's, it's not about God coming to us and saying, well, listen, I saved you, so now you better behave better. That's not what he's talking about, ordained to walk in good works. Here's what he's saying. He said, I saved you. Now I desire that you live in such a way, in such a selfless, giving way that others might inherit my blessings through your obedience. 
that others might see my nature in your character, that others might hear my word through your speaking. The ordination under good works isn't about behavior as much as it is about being salt and light to this world. So God, who had us in the garden and we fell, now has redeemed some of us back into his presence, and he desires that we would walk in good works. Why? So that the whole world could be blessed, so that the world might see Jesus in you and hear Jesus at the water cooler and recognize Christ in your behavior at the soccer game, that you might be a witness unto good works and they might glorify your father, which is in heaven. The heartbeat of good works is to bring all of humanity back into the presence of God with you into the goodness of God. So what have we learned about man's recreated purpose? Well, number one, we learned that by grace, I'm no longer what I was. We learned number two, that by grace, I'm seated with Christ in the heavens. Number three, I was raised up so I might inherit the goodness of God through the ages to come. Number four, I am now called to walk in holiness and spiritual productivity. I've got five and six and I'm done. The next one might be the best of the whole day. Number five, we learn that where once I was an enemy, I am now brought close to my creator and my redeemer. I am in a word, accepted. He made me accepted. Now listen, acceptance is is a really important word to every one of us, whether we'll admit it or not, right? Some of us will say, I don't care what other people think about me. Listen, you might not care about what some people think of you, and that's, that's probably fair. There are some people I think it doesn't matter what they think about you. But the fact of the matter is, if you're here this morning and you can honestly say, I don't care what anybody thinks about me, I will say you're a very selfish person. You ought to care what your spouse thinks about you. You ought to care what your kids think about you. You ought to care what the lost world thinks about you, whether you're representing Christ or not. So listen, we ought, there, there's a bunch of people that we ought not care what they think about, right? I don't care if I'm ever accepted by the lost world. I don't care if I'm accepted by the elite or the fashionable or the wealthy. But there is a group of people, and, and follow me here. I'm not talking about acceptance in church so much, but just hold on to it. There is a group of people that every human being should want to be a part of in terms of acceptance. And that is the beloved or those loved by God. That's a group you and I ought to want to be a part of and want to be accepted. In fact, just put your finger there in chapter 2, and you may not even have to flip the page. Just go back to chapter 1, verse 6. Ephesians 1, 6. To the praise and glory of his grace, wherein he hath, read it out loud, made us accepted in the beloved. Listen, because of Jesus, I am made accepted. Now go back to chapter 2, and let's see that same thing, uh, theme expounded on. Look at verse 11. Verse 11 through 18 covers this topic. It says, wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. Here's what he's saying. He says, Ephesians, you were not Jews. You were not the people of God who were given the promises and the Messiah and all this extra grace. You, you were not the Jews and the circumcision, the Jews would call you the uncircumcision. You were not a part of that chosen people. You were Gentiles. Now listen. Here this morning, every one of us, I think, is a Gentile. So we fall in this category. But look at verse 12. That at the time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth, that means just the estate or the promises inherited, the the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promises, having no hope and without God in the world. Here's what he says. Gentiles, you had no claim to me. Look at verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes, who sometimes were afar off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. 
Listen, because of Jesus, his reforming work as a Gentile, I am no longer a stranger. I am no longer an alien. I'm no longer, I no longer don't have a claim. I'm brought near. I'm made accepted. And really verses 14 through 18 go into depth and explain that. But here is the gist. Because of Christ, I'm his. Because of Christ, I'm accepted. And I'm not accepted based on who I am or what I bring to the table. I'm not accepted by the Father based on my own merit. I am accepted because he hath made me accepted in the beloved. And listen, the world can keep its accolades. Colleagues and corporate superiors can withhold acceptance. That's just fine. My own flesh and blood and family might misunderstand or malign me. But to be accepted in the beloved, to be made nigh by the blood of Jesus, I had no claim to the promises of this book, and now I do. I had no access to the God of Israel, but now I am called beloved? What a privilege to be reformed into that. I, who was once an enemy, once a stranger, once had no claim to the commonwealth or inheritance of Israel, now we're made sons and daughters, kings and priests. Now we're made accepted. And if you're here today and you are lost, again, God loves you, but you are his enemy. And you are his enemy not by his doing or choosing, but by your own. Your sins have separated you. He can make you accepted in the beloved. He can make you his own. And Jesus is offering to make you nigh, not by your, your works or your efforts, but by his own blood. Here we come into our last thought. Number one, by grace, I'm no longer what I was. Number two, by grace, I'm seated with Christ in the heavens. Once was buried and now seated next to Jesus. I was raised so that I might inherit the goodness of my God. I now walk, I'm called to walk in good works and holiness and productivity. And in Christ, I'm now accepted. And here's number six, and we'll pick up at verse number 19. My life now serves a unique and important purpose in the, kingdom, in the kingdom work of God. So listen, keep in mind the context of the previous verses. You're a stranger. You're an enemy. You're not part of the people of God. You have no claim to the inheritance. Pick up in verse number 19. Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. What was their foundation? Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the spirit. Here's what he just said. You're a foreigner, foreigner, you had no claim, but now you're a part of the building. And there's, there's a bit of a word picture there. There's a building being built by the saints of God, with the saints of God, not in terms of like a tabernacle or a temple like we would think with our hands, but you and I are, are the framing. You and I are what make up the house of God. We, we would say the church is the people. And here's what he said. You who didn't belong have been rescued and added like a, it sounds a little juvenile, but hold on, like a two by four into the structure. And your life now serves an, an integral purpose. Your life now has a part in the kingdom work. Your life now has value. Your, your life now has significance for eternity. You can now make a difference. And here's the difference. Your life is a partnership with Jesus. And listen, that is man's true purpose. To partner again with our God. Think about it in the garden. God made them and said, now go subdue the land and, and work and build and till and care for it and bring it back to me. Partner with me in this planet and global process. And we broke it. But by Jesus, we're brought back into it. So if you're here today and you say, I just don't know what life's all about. Maybe you're living for yourself and that's why. You're building the wrong kingdom. 
You're surrendering your gifts and talents and money, building a corporation that someday is going to fall and no one's going to remember it. You realize every building will be lost to time. You realize every building with a name on it is going to have somebody else's name on it eventually. And you live building, giving your life and your ability and your strength to build something that's not eternal. It will fall and perish. But the beautiful thing about salvation is it gives us eternal partnership with Jesus and therefore eternal purpose in our life. So you are called, one, to be saved. But after salvation, he begins this process of bringing us back into what he originally intended for us. And part of that is partnership. And this is where we begin to see man's real purpose and function on this planet. It's not to make money or to retire well or to accomplish some five-year plan. God may in his grace allow you to do some of those things. But the purpose you and I were given breath is to fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Let's pray.